Is there a better way to deliver healthcare? Would you like to be able to see your doctor as often as you would like to and never pay more? Dr. John Deigert does business that way, and more doctors are doing just that. This is the audio version of our television show, Devil's Advocate. You can watch that program by going to youtube.com and searching for our channel, IITV. That stands for Independence Institute TV, or just go to thinkfreedom.org. You're going to like this conversation. I had this conversation with this gentleman literally two years, to, almost to the day, and I told him, this is not going to work. So he came back to say, <laughs> Dr. John Digert from Advanced Pinnacle, no, Pinnacle Advanced Primary Care, rolls right off the tongue. You started a business which is growing in popularity, but your business is really taking off. The idea is, it's kind of like a concierge service for people who want to see their doctor when they want to see their doctor. Let me see if I got this one straight. Membership services are everything. I, I pay Netflix. I can see as many movies as I want. I pay you 75 bucks a month. I can come see you whenever I want to see you. Is that basically it? That's it. And it is an offshoot of concierge. There are some, some subtle differences between direct primary care and concierge, mainly the cost. But that's exactly right. It's just a better way to do primary care, and it's a free market solution to primary care. This is what gets me. I, mean, I like my doctors. They have a nice little practice. It's part, of, it's part of the hospital. And so you go and you do this and you do that. you got to get an appointment. And sometimes, rarely, I'm just sick. And I've I got to. I just need the medicine, all right? It's like, I've got strep. I can tell I've got strep. Or I, I've got this. Can you just get me this? Well, no, you'll have to come in and see. I know the doctor. She's going to see me. We know each other. She's just going to say, you need this. Can I just talk to her on the phone? And, no, you'll need to come in. I've known her for 10 years. No, you need to come in. But on this, once you get to know me, we could just do face-to-face -face and we're okay, right? Absolutely. That's an excellent point, actually, as to one of the key differences but with direct primary care. It basically eliminates the fee-for-service, which is the whole reason they do that. In order to get paid, they need to bring you into the office for an actual appointment. And that's why you only get about seven minutes with your doctor when you go for an appointment is because they're trying to cram as many appointments into the schedule that they can for financial reasons. Well, that's not good for, for care. Um, the other thing that it eliminates is insurance paying for primary care. It would be the equivalent of your car insurance paying for your oil changes and your gasoline and all that kind of stuff. It just isn't the right tool for the right problem when it comes to primary care. This is the key part. Let me see if I'm, if I'm following this. Because I'm old and I don't remember. You don't take insurance. Correct. So when I pay you 75 bucks a month, that's your pay. All right? So when I'm there... You get all of that money, and you don't have to file with the insurance company. You don't have to fight with the insurance company. You don't have to worry about uh, codes. And for those people who don't know, there are tens of thousands of codes, and there's you know, like 400 that they usually use, and they have to fight with the insurance company. There's a bill that happens, and most doctor's offices spend about 40% of their costs are chasing down the insurance company to get their money for your visit. 
Yeah, and just remember, as the consumer, you're the one paying for that extra overhead, right. which doesn't add any value uh, to, to patient care whatsoever. So going back to your question about the, the virtual care, that's a, that's a perfect example of what direct primary care can do for you. Instead of having to come in, get everybody else in the waiting room sick when, you, when you're in there, we know you. We know that you're prone to strep throat or something like that. So we can get on for a Zoom meeting or a phone call or something along those lines. And if it's appropriate, we can prescribe antibiotics because we don't have that financial incentive. We already have our membership as our source of revenue. So when you have that set up, we can innovate and come up with new and improved ways of delivering care to our patients. The downside is when I hit my out-of-pocket maximum, all right, I paid all my deductibles, I paid all my co-payments, and now I'm on the insurance's dime. There's nothing worse for an insurance company when I'm spending, quote, their money. So then I'm going to go in for every hangnail. I'm going to go in for every console. I'm a little worried about something today. I'll just go right in. That's got to be what you deal with all the time because I've paid you my $75 whether I see you once a year or three times a week. So I'm just going to go in and camp out at your office. I'm going to, just like Netflix, the more I watch Netflix, the more I get out of it, I'm going to camp out in your waiting room. Oh, doctor, doctor, I got a little pain right here. Can you take a look at it? How do you make money off that if, if I'm just going to work the system? Because I'm going to try to get as much of your attention as possible. It's a good question, and it is one of the concerns that physicians have uh, when they're considering going into direct primary care. But it really doesn't come up. I mean, there aren't a whole lot of people who want to come in for a weekly rectal exam or something like that, right? I don't know. I'm a, I'm a very lonely man. <laughs> well, anyway, it's just, you know, it, it's, it's more that it gives people uh, the option of being able to contact their provider when they need to. And that gives them that sense of security, and it's a true sense of security. And th there are some individuals who are high utilizers, but it's, it's a small minority of, of the overall populace of the, of the patient panel. We talked about this two years ago, and I looked at this, and I was like, all right, I'm trying to figure it out. 75 bucks, and you can, you can do all these things. I can talk to you, I, a wholesale pharmacy. I, I still have to pay for drugs. Drugs are expensive. So how, do, how does that work? Well, fortunately, we can uh, basically sell drugs to our patients right after we prescribe them at wholesale cost. We also work with partners, do you know Mark Cuban's company, yeah. Cost Plus Drugs? There's also another great company that we work with called Direx, which is a cash-based mail-order pharmacy similar to Mark Cuban's. And that's a great solution for people to get their blood pressure pills, their diabetes medication, just comes through the mail, and they're paying what it actually costs, not their insurance doing this game with the pharmacy benefit managers, which are the the low life of the healthcare industry, and we can get into that if you want to. Um, but it's really just paying for the meds as opposed to this game that gets played uh, through the retail pharmacy or the mail order pharmacy through the pharmacy benefit manager. One of the big things that adds to the overall cost to the healthcare industry. Right, so people look at this and they go, oh, for $75 a month, I'll do that. You're not talking that this is insurance because if I, if I have cancer or I, I have a terrible car accident, I need to be hospitalized, that ain't this, 
I want to be really clear about that. This is, this is your primary care physician. This is something extra. This doesn't take care of the need to have actual insurance for what insurance used to be, which is the really bad stuff. Do I have that part right? You're absolutely right, and that's a great point. It's a very important point because, once again, we should get insurance out of primary care completely and run it this way, value-based primary care. You do need insurance, though. People view their little insurance card like it's their health care. Like, this little thing is going to keep me safe from anything bad that can happen to me, but it's not. It's just a financial tool to protect you in the event that you do have cancer or an accident. Give me a, like a definition of primary care, because I, I know this is my primary care physician, but here's my insurance card and has my primary care doctor's name on it. But you seem to be separating primary care from bad stuff happening. Yeah. That's ex- that's What's the ex- difference? What is primary care? Well, I can tell you the way that the industry views it, and I can tell you the way that, that we view it. The way that the industry views it is family medicine, internal medicine, pediatrics, pretty much. That, that's what it is. And it's your, your doctor, right? The, the doctor who's going to uh, be able to tell what you need to do when you have a sinus infection or a urinary tract infection. Manage your blood pressure, manage your diabetes. Know when it's appropriate to send you to a specialist. Take care of your preventive medicine, that kind of thing. That's what primary care's role is. It's like 80 to 90%. It's your family doc. It's the guy you're talking to is like, I am not feeling well. I don't know where I am not feeling well. Uh, Do I have the flu? I don't know if I've got the flu. Uh, I've got to see somebody. The first call you make is usually your, your primary care. If you've broken your arm, you're going to go to the emergency room. If you've, if you're, it's a Saturday and you're in a car wreck, you're not going to go to your doctor, your primary care. You're going to go right to the emergency room. If you go to your primary care and he or she looks at you and says, dude, this, this could be something. We looked, we did a test. Your white cell count is up here. This could be cancer. I am sending you right now to, to the specialist. That's when it goes from a doc like you to something much more serious. Is, mm-hmm. that, is that a good way to cut that? That's a good way to do it. And, and yeah, just think of anything that, that is bad that could happen to you that would be a, a high expense that, that you would have to go to the hospital and stay overnight for. You have to undergo cancer treatments. You have a heart attack or stroke. You need emergency care right then and there. That's what insurance is for. It's absolutely, I mean, it's really important to have insurance or a health share or, or a catastrophic plan or any of, any, any of those options um, to protect you financially. But when it comes to your day-to-day health care, that's what you need primary care for and preventive stuff. Because we can, you know, manage risk factors for both cancer and cardiovascular risk and hopefully prevent those heart attacks and strokes from even happening in the first place. Talk to me about the tests. Because every time you go in for your physical, you go, oh, let's test you for this, and let's test you for that. And you go, oh, mm, mm. And then you get a bill. Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing with you. They're not free. Is it free when you prescribe that? Uh, it's not free, but it's next to free, I would call it. I mean, we can get a complete blood count. You mentioned a white count earlier. Yeah. So there's a, blood, there's a blood test called a complete blood count, CBC, that tests for white blood cells, red blood cells, platelets, basically. And I think that test is like $2.50. Because 
because that's how much it actually costs. They're not playing any of these games with the little insurance card anymore. It's just, hey, we're gonna pay you because this is what the test is worth. Just like we do with the prescriptions and just like we do with our memberships. It's a free market solution and it's absolutely the right way to go forward. All right, so let me just look at some of these things. And there are, there are procedures that you have to pay for. Uh, you said joint injections. I, I can buy a joint on the street or in any, any, any marijuana place. Why would I buy my joints at your place? Joint injection is one of the most effective and most common procedures that, that's performed. Um, a lot of times it's done in the orthopedist's office. It's, it's also in the realm of primary care. This is a steroid injection? Steroid injection in, in, into, for, for arthritis okay. usually, yes. Uh, trigger joint injections. That's for soft tissue, yep. Uh, skin biopsies, 15 mm. bucks. Um, um, I mean, all right. Uh, a nominal fee just to represent some of the equipment that we use and that kind of stuff, but basically it's covered under the membership. All right, all right. let's get back. Two years ago, we covered pretty much all this stuff. Yes. And I said, why don't you have this in Boulder? And you said, because I'm in Colorado Springs. But there's plenty of businesses like yours. Mm -hmm. talk, let's talk about the industry. More and more of this is popping up because people are tired of being treated like a number. This has quadrupled in size in the last eight years. That's so how popular it is. When you say it, what do you mean by it? Direct primary care or value-based primary care, which is a membership model for primary care. So let me kick that back to you. Something like what you are doing where a doctor says, I want to be a doctor, not an accountant for an insurance company. And they, they break, they break with thee. I break with thee, I break with thee. I want to be a doctor again. And they say, I'm going to doctor. So, and all of a sudden by saying that, 40% of the work that their practice has to do goes away. That is, they don't have to deal with insurance companies and they can focus on patients. Um, and so in the last eight years, that has quadrupled, which means that patients have to say, I'm willing to pay extra, extra. In your case, 75 bucks a month for this service, plus even extra nominally for some drugs, some tests, whatever it is. That's partially what's driving that exponential growth, but more of that is caused by business owners recognizing that this is a solution to the skyrocketing costs that they have to pay for their employees' benefits. Explain that to me. Well, um, I don't know if you heard the news from last month, but the rates for 2024 premiums for, for uh, employees of businesses is going up on average by 6%. Um, it's outpaced inflation by about two to three times since the 1960s. That's how much healthcare costs have gone up, and there's a whole bunch of reasons for that. But business owners are, are desperate for a solution because it can come down to, you know, cut, either cutting costs in this way versus firing, you know, a handful of their staff. When you say cutting costs, how does this cut costs? If, I, if I'm following you, you're saying I'm an employer and I've got to buy insurance for my employees. And employee insurance is crazy. Mm -hmm. I know this. I have employees. And it is insanely expensive. Mm -hmm. How does this save me money? I have, to, I have to pay to get my employees this service. This is the most important thing, John. And this is the part that I wasn't aware of when I, when I was here two years ago. I didn't realize that there's an entire army of in insurance alternatives uh, or insurance companies that do self-funded plans is really what it is, that basically turn the insurance market into a free market. 
So when you combine free market primary care, and then you have these free market insurance options, now we're getting somewhere when it comes to the cost. So that's really what's been driving that growth. It's, it's astonishing. There's this group called Health Rosetta. I encourage everybody to, to look them up. Um, One more time? One more time, Health, health Rosetta. Uh, Dave Chase was a Microsoft executive, and then he started Health Rosetta because he researched uh, the healthcare industry and he found companies that were doing it uh, in this way, where they get a self-funded plan. That means that they don't just, you know, hand their company credit card to a third party, you know, like Blue Cross or whatever. They their employees' premiums all go into their own pool of money. Okay, so that means that they have more control over those dollars. And then they do either something called reference-based pricing, which is comparing the price uh, of, of whatever service, like a hospitalization or a heart attack or cancer, like you mentioned, um, to what Medicare would pay for it. Okay, uh, or they just directly contract with the service provider. And that is driving those costs down because it cuts out all, there's, there's an entire shadow industry of middlemen in healthcare that they are what makes it so expensive. That's why we pay twice as much for our healthcare in this country than they do in any other developed country. So it's it's absolutely crucial that we, as consumers and business owners, push this movement forward, especially after the price transparency legislation from 2020. There's never been a better strike. The results that you can get from going to this method or alternative way of, of running healthcare benefits I mean, you can save 20 to 40%. That's common. I want to go back and explain this in a way that I can understand. Yes. All right. I understand when you pay cash for medical services, the savings is remarkable. Mm -hmm. When you can negotiate for the service. Uh, let's see. I remember 15 years ago, no, 13 years ago, I went up to Canada and I talked to patients who would come down to the United States to get life-saving services because mm -hmm. they'd have to wait so long for the government to do it. I remember talking to a guy named Lindsay McQueeth. McQueeth, yeah, McQueeth. He had a brain tumor and he needed an MRI. Uh, and it was six months out to get scheduled to get uh -huh. a simple MRI. So he went down to Buffalo, New York and got his MRI in just a couple of days. And it showed that there was this awful brain tumor. And uh, took the stuff back, the data back, and they got, oh my God, it looks like it's this type of cancer. You need to get that removed immediately. Mm -hmm. And great, how long will it take? About six to eight months to schedule a surgery uh, because it's Canada. We have to wait you know, because there's so many other people in line mm -hmm. for the surgery. He went down and scheduled the surgery for the very next week in Buffalo. Through one of the brokers, they found um, uh, surgery to do it for cash. It cost $15,000. Mm -hmm. All right, 50, cost of a used car. He paid for it out of pocket. It saved his life. Mm -hmm. He ended up suing the Canadian healthcare service because he paid for it out of pocket and he said, this saved my life. Went all the way to their Supreme Court. He said, will you pay me back? They said no, because it wasn't pre-authorized, mm -hmm. even though it plainly saved your life. Talked to people who wanted their hip surgery and this, who s slept in chairs who had to wait for three years for their surgeries. And when they found a broker who could bring them down to a surgery center that would do it for about $5,000, mind you, this was 10 years ago, mm -hmm. $5,000 and guaranteed it. They said, you know, if it costs more, we have to pay for that. You know, that. But if it costs less, that's our profit. 
because they don't have to pay for the, all the overhead of what you're talking about, filling mm-hmm. out the insurance forms and all the rest. And so they had surgery centers. That's what they specialized in. And these people would come down and in a few days go back up. And because it was cash for care. Mm-hmm. And so the efficiencies were, were remarkable. Is this the kind of stuff you're talking about? Yes. That is, I mean, the other key point, and I'm glad you brought that up, is that that is a function of government basically running the healthcare industry like they do up in Canada and they do in several European countries. And there are some that do it better than others, but all of them have significant problems. And boy, let me tell you, would our government love to get control of the healthcare industry in this country? Um, and I don't know if you paid attention during COVID, um, but they, if they get that, they have everything. They have, first of all, four and a half trillion dollars of the economy, but they can also just do whatever they want by declaring anything a healthcare emergency. You saw the governor of South, uh, no, New Mexico, uh, right. suspended Second Amendment rights because healthcare emergency, right. right? And CDC did an eviction moratorium during the pandemic. What's the seat? That's our national public health administration. What are they doing in the landlord industry? Well, obviously, it's a public health emergency. You wouldn't want people to die, would you, John? That's the issue. But yes, when it comes to Canada, that person probably would have died. The guy with the brain tumor. Oh, there's no question. Yeah, yeah. Would have died in a few, just a couple so, of months. Yeah. So coming down and just paying cash, cash is king, saved his life twice. Once for so the MRI, once me, for the surgery. What I don't quite understand is how this saves money for businesses. Because a business still has to buy insurance, and then you're saying, buy this on top of insurance. Buy this, I'm going to call this a concierge service. It seems like what you're selling is actually going to cost an employer more because I got to buy the government-mandated insurance for my employees, and now you, this guy is saying, and buy my, my sweet little cottage insur- uh, service, my membership Netflix insurance as well. That's the magic, John. It's, once again, it's their pool of money. If they come to us before they go to the emergency room or to urgent care or have an unnecessary surgery or see a specialist for no reason when they could have it handled by primary care, they're incentivized to come to us because it's free for them, right? that protects their pool of money. So we save the insurance plan, the self-funded insurance plan money by having them come to us first. If you if you keep somebody from going to the emergency room once, that's like three people's membership for a year. I mean, so that's why it's effective. Plus it helps with adoption of the plan because it feels like you're getting concierge service. My employer really cares about me because they give me this, plus I only have $1,500 out-of-pocket deductible instead of 7,500 like I did last year. It's 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 a great solution. Okay, let me see if let me kick it back to you. See if sure. I'm following you. So, Caldera, what you're missing is, yes, you buy this concierge cottage membership service, and it costs uh, seventy bucks a, a month or whatever for for your employees. But because of that, your insurance that you're going to buy them for the catastrophic stuff, the premiums for that goes down quite a bit because of this service. So it's not like you're buying the same insurance, you're buying a much reduced service because all that primary care stuff is now already paid for, so the insurance company gives you a much better deal. Partially. Partially, what am I missing? Well, you're exactly right, because primary care is a carve out from what they would normally have as claims to go see somebody for a sinus infection or whatever. Um, 
So, but the other key thing that we do is we do save them downstream costs by having them come to us first because we're a fixed cost and we can handle a lot of the stuff that they would typically go to urgent care for or specialty care for or unnecessary surgery, like I was mentioning. When we're protecting them from those unnecessary expenses, we're protecting their pool of money that they've all been paying into that the business owner and HR department is in charge of instead of Blue Cross. So it's better service for the employee. Yes. All right, because I get concierge service. Yeah. I get somebody who I can see as much as I want. Mm -hmm. So for that hypochondriac employee, they're gonna love this because they can see you every single day and it doesn't cost them any more. There's no more co-payments. There's no more uh, this and that. How much will it save me as the evil employer who only cares about trying to save some money? In combination with the, with the uh, plan doing direct contracting and reference-based and or reference-based pricing, 20 to 40% from what they're paying now. Really? Really. I, I can't believe more people aren't doing it. It's... Do you know how much we waste in the healthcare industry every year? $1.5 trillion. And, and the- how do, how do you come up with that number? What's, what's that? How do you come up with that number? That's from Health Rosetta. That's my source on that. And all of that is from government statistics. Yeah. Right. So it's, and we spend 4.5 trillion, but the, but the wasted dollars come from money going to services that don't really provide any value to the patient. Once so we, got, we waste how much? 1.5 trillion. And we spend how much? Four point five trillion. Four point five. All right, there we go. Yeah. So, um, have you, did you ever watch Moneyball? Yes. Okay. St so it's a statistical genius that comes in and figures out that the stats that they've been looking at really don't Aren't translate right to wins. Right. Exactly. Sabermetrics. Well, there's sabermetrics for healthcare industry too. Which services, which dollars that you put into the healthcare industry actually translate to improved patient outcomes? Well, it turns out primary care are some of the best dollars that you can spend. Some of the worst dollars that you can spend are paying insurance brokers, <laughs> pharmacy benefit managers, uh, durable medical equipment salesmen, yep. that kind of thing. That's what's making healthcare so expensive. Great book, absolutely should, should read this book, couldn't recommend it more highly. Marty, Dr. Marty McCary wrote a book, two books. One of them is called Unaccountable. The other one is called The Price We Pay, and he details every single one of these. And it includes profiteering doctors, by the way, that kind of scam onto the back of, of the Medicare bureaucracy yeah. to, to line their own pockets with unnecessary procedures. So there's a lot of dirty money out there. It's not well, like the doctors whole, the whole Medicaid, The whole Medicaid farce is incredible. And no. as, as, a, as, as a person who has a son with a disability who gets Medicaid, you see how many companies take their slice of the pie and their slice of the pie and their slice of the pie and all these different companies that take it before it gets to the person mm -hmm. who it's supposed to help. It is It is just evil. I mean, mm -hmm. it's just evil. I mean, riddle me this. Why is it that doctors who are so well-schooled in, in their skill, in their talent, in their passion, are the worst businessmen in the world. I see you cracking up there because you know exactly what I mean. I, years ago, 20 years ago, I, I met a guy named Vern Cherwintanko out in Seattle. And he, very much like you, uh, kind of had a similar ep epiphany. And he was dealing with these 10,000 different insurance codes. And he looked around and he saw the people in his office fighting for insurance and doing this. And every code had a different thing. And so he threw it all out 
and he went straight cash for care, a little different than what you did. Mm -hmm. And he came up with, I think, five codes. Super short visit, short visit, medium visit, long visit, super long visit. And because he didn't take any um, insurance, he could get paid any way he wanted to. So um, a little old lady would come and bring him an apple pie. Uh, uh, I can't pay, but I brought you this apple pie. And he went, I love apple pie. This is perfect. Now let's <laughs> sit down and talk about what's bothering you. And he said, I, I was finally free to be a doctor again. Kind of mm-hmm. like I've heard uh, school teachers who finally decided to go and get rid of, get out of the government school and go teach in some little private school. I'm a teacher again. I'm not, I'm not filling out forms. And it was the same thing. And he said, I can't believe how lousy doctors are when it comes to simple mathematics that, and I'm making more money now than I ever have, and my patients are saving more money than they've ever have. Um, And they can still use insurance. They go fill out the forms. I don't. Right. Well, it's a great question as to why doctors aren't good at business. I think there's a couple of, there's two main reasons. One of which is you do so much training in the medical industry. I mean, it's drinking from a fire hose. So there's really not a ton of time to do, to get your MBA while you're, while you're doing that. Um, it's not MBA stuff, is it? Well, I mean, no, but yeah. well, I mean, no, you're right. But the other thing is, and this is probably the more important thing is that Doctors are more people-oriented instead of numbers-oriented. And, and they, they care more about, you know, interaction with people and helping people. And, you know, it's, it's cliche, but that, it's me, true. Let me call bullshit on that one. Because every time I've seen a doctor in the last 10 years, they don't look at me. What You've do they look at? You've going to the wrong doctor. What do they look at when you go see a doctor these days? A chart. They look, they look at a computer screen. And they ask you questions that often come up on the computer screen. You know who has the most um, personal attention to you is the the nursing assistant that comes in that's Medical getting paid assistant. you know minimum wage that that uh, takes your vitals, writes down what you're there for. Uh, the doctor sees that before he or she comes in, and they and they are there typing in the stuff that goes into the system because that's what the system requires them to put in and ask you all the questions that the system tells. It's, it's a robot. You know, your doctor is now one big bot. Well, here's where you're wrong. It's not because the doctors want to sit there looking. It's not because they aren't people-oriented or, or they're just computer-oriented. It's because that's what the system has forced them into. That's why the burnout rates are so miserably high for doctors. It's because they hate their life. They hate their job. They're not doing what they became doctors. The whole reason they went to medical school was to help people, and then they're you know now they're data rats. processors. Yeah, they're they're sitting in the computer lab typing, and then after clinic hours, they stay for another three to four hours charting everything that they didn't get to in the office visit. What does that mean, charting? Uh, to, to type it, you, writing your notes and sending it off to billing so that you can get your collections. Yeah, it's a miserable life. I used to do it. That's why I switched and went to direct primary care. You would come in with me. We'd sit for half an hour, talk the whole time, maybe some about healthcare, maybe some about what's going on in your life, you know. And uh, it's entirely different. I wouldn't just be sitting here like glancing up at you uh, from my computer going through a scripted list of things. No, you're a real person. I'm going to treat you like a real person. And that's what makes doctors happy. I am so much happier. Anybody 
who goes into direct primary care who who did it the old way could could never go back. It's it's really yeah. It's 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 night and day difference. All right, and let me ask you just some of the more human questions. You are obviously happy you're doing this. Yes, sir. You have how many other doctors working with you? Uh, two other two other doctors and one physician assistant now. Okay, and uh, you've been doing this how long? Uh, with Pinnacle or or just in direct primary care in general? Uh, in general. Okay, six years. Six years. And are you making more money? No. Really? No. Yeah, I, I mean... I, I find that surprising. Why? Uh, well, just because... Because there's a dumb model and you regret it. Uh, well, no, I mean, the, the way that the model's set up is uh, it, you, you basically will take home the same salary that you would if you were in fee-for-service. You could make it so it's more, but you might start to drop off on the quality of care that you can deliver, and then we'd be right back to where we started from. So it's if, very if, you, if you really... If you were to push this model to make more money, you would be you would be out there selling memberships. Mm-hmm. And if you had more memberships and fewer doctors, you'd be kind of back in the same plot, spot where you're pushing them out the door. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's yeah. how you make more, mod- yeah, more money. Yeah, you'd lose all the secret sauce in that right. case. Yeah. So you're not making more money. Are you, are you making comparable money? Yes. But your job satisfaction is through the roof. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, and and yes, that's that's exactly what you're hearing. So you can make just as much money and love your life and love your practice. That's so. The at, at the end of the day, are you burnt out like you were before? No, no. I'm, you I'm, dig it. I dig it. I mean, it it it's a source of joy to me now going to work. I know that every doctor thinks that their patients love them, and <laughs> they're but be honest. How patients? could you not love me, though? I, I mean, don't seriously. like you at all. I've known you now for two years. I've, I didn't like you for the first time I met you. Do you think that your patients like this? How do you measure your patient satisfaction? Uh, well, um, our patients' uh, utilization rate is is eighty nine percent. I mean, that's that's really high. Uh, utilization with, is what that actually come see the doctor. Compare that to the general population. It's not even close. So they're willing to come see us, at least, especially the guys that their wife forces them to go. They can actually come in, find out I'm not going to sit there behind a computer screen like you were talking about. I mean, yeah. And actually right. care about them. Quick question. Yeah. I hate going to the doctor. Yeah. I, is it a, it's a male thing, isn't it? Men uh, Predominantly, yes. Why? I, I don't know all the, ans- the psychological honest, answers I to that. I, now I have to be on my deathbed before I go to a doctor. Well, you go to a doctor, all You means- should be more proactive. Uh, <laughs> I have mean, to say that. You know. All it means is you're going to have to go to another five doctors because the doctor never gives you an answer. Not when you come to a good primary care doctor. When when they have time to actually deal with the issues in front of them, they can be a doctor instead of being like, oh, you have something to do with your heart. You need a cardiologist. Oh, yep. you have something to do with your knee. You need to go to orthopedics. That's what primary care has become. But primary yeah, care that's is exactly what happened. I had I had something. I was like, all you need is a checks x-ray. Look at the checks x-ray. Well, you might have, it looks like you've got scar tissue here, which could be, the, and it was three months of tests. It's like, at the end, oh, you're fine. Yeah. No. You know, I yeah. just never should have gone to you in the first place. I'm broke, and I'm fine. Yeah, it's more It's more about the system than it is about the, the doctor in that case, though. It's it's because it's that's what the system uh, is incentivizing. They don't make money off of primary care. Primary care is is woefully underappreciated and undervalued in this country. That's one of the big problems and another reason why healthcare is so expensive is we don't value primary care. We don't value primary care physicians when it comes to compensation compared to specialty. It's all about 
getting people into the system, into the expensive system, the insurance system. That's it's, it's almost like your primary care doctor is just the third base coach wheeling everybody around into the hospital or, or whatever surgery or specialist that, that would make the system more money. And it's all consolidating and you've seen that, I'm sure. How many patients do you lose? I don't mean kill, because I'm sure that number is ridiculously high, but how many patients, it was a joke, how many patients say, I'm canceling my membership? Uh, I think it's about 5% per year, something like that, give or take. Okay. I, I would have to look at the exact numbers, but I, I'm thinking so the I'm retention rate is that. pretty high. It's high, yeah. Okay. It's, it's kind of like doctors. When, when, once you switch to it as a patient, it's hard to go back to the old system. Right, okay. Kind of like sitting in first class, you know, you never want to go back to coach. <laughs> well, but times are tight, and we're, we're, you're talking about eight grand a year, or eight, yeah, $800 no. dollars a year. Yeah. Oh, $800 a year, in one way, it's nothing, you know, to, to have a doctor on call anytime, mm-hmm. you, anytime you need. And you, how, hard, how much has your business gone up since the last time we talked? I think we have about 1,200 uh, patients now, 175 businesses. Um, as I mentioned, we've hired two other providers. Uh, so it's going well. It's going well, and it can go well for, for any other doctor who wants to jump into this. I, I, and I know highly encourage it. You and I do this, and it really isn't to promote your business, no. Pinnacle, uh, which, which is great. I'm happy to be, for people to know it, but what's your purpose for doing this and being evangelical about getting patients, and other doctors to know about it. Why, why is it important for you to let folks know about this service? Well, it's my career job. I mean, this is what I went into medicine to be able to do is to make this kind of impact. But then when I, when I got into it, right after I was here, I started delving into the actual problems with the system. I read yeah. Dr. McCary's book, and it's all of a sudden it hit me. It's like, we can actually fix this thing. I didn't believe that before. I thought it was too complicated and it's just a bunch of, but, but it is. And the solution is just to make it more free market. That's, a, that's literally it. We have to have price transparency. We have to have effectiveness transparency. And lo and behold, just like it does in any other free market industry, quality goes up and costs go down. And we need more people to demand that because we can achieve that. It's, the, there's no reason that we have to keep paying this much and getting so little in return. You can act, we can actually fix this problem. I wish a political party would take this up as one of their key, uh, what do they call it, policy platform things, you know, Beca- because I think it's a winner. I think it, it's a, something that would win in the public eye as well. Everybody hates their healthcare right now. Everybody hates how much it costs and what, what quality what, they get. What is surprising to me is that this is less expensive. The idea that I could have, and I... I like my primary doc. Mm-hmm. She, she's, she's a really nice lady. She's been good to me over the years. I like her. Um, and she's part of a practice, but the practice comes out of the Boulder Health Hospital. You know, it's part mm-hmm. of the bureaucracy, and bureaucracy is, uh, you got to keep your mask on, and so they're all masks, uh, fascists, and, until it's way too late, and it's just you know, bureaucratic this. And, and, and the idea of, I, I wish you guys operated in my hometown, because I would pay for this just to be able to have something that was personal. That, you know, it's like, hey, I know you guys. Um, and you have the freedom to do this. And if it saved us money and got better service, who wouldn't want this? Who wouldn't want There was a time, and I'm old enough to remember my family's doctor making house calls. I imagine you guys don't make house calls. Yeah, believe it or not, I do. Rarely, but it really? happens. Yes. Really? Really. 
Why would you make a house call? Uh, because the, the patient is unable to get out of the house, usually due right. to mobility issues, or there's just some kind of practical reason. And I remember those days. I, and the doctor, that was the doctor. And they sent, they sent a bill. You know, it was just, it was that, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Uh, and you miss it because you had, it was probably the most trusted bond you have. I don't have that trusted bond because it's an insurance hospital machine. It's not a person. Mm-hmm. You know, well, something I, different. Yeah, exactly. I and the, and that's what this restores. That's that's a great point. It's I feel like my patients and I do have that kind of bond where I know what their what sports their kids are playing. I know where they like to go on vacation, you know. I know that this person, when they get a cold, is usually going to turn into a sinus infection. Right. Mary over here is is prone to urinary tract infections, and she goes to visit her grandkids out in Florida and may give me a call if something happens. Right. That It goes back. It's like old-school medicine with a modern twist. That's how I would describe it. All right. Leave two messages here. First, for patients. What should patients be looking for? They're interested in something like this, and they're not in the springs where, they, I mean, they can call you up a pinnacle, um, but what are they looking for? What, what should they, you know, dive into their computer tonight and go, I want something like this. What do they Google? I would Google direct primary care, and then, I mean, I would either take, the, take it upon yourself to, to get yourself a membership. I mean, you can get it, for example, you can get it right off of our website. I mean, it's, it's usually pretty easy to sign up. It's just not everybody knows about it yet. But 52%— But if you don't live in Colorado Springs, you can't sign up to yours. Oh, there yeah. are plenty of direct primary cares up right. there. Absolutely. There may and, even be and, one in Boulder. I haven't right. looked, but I'll look for you. I would appreciate that. Absolutely, yeah. Right. And as far as—but— what patients need to realize, and this is the thing they don't realize, because once again, they think their healthcare is that little plastic card that they keep in their wallet, and it's not. They can get so much more for for much less money, and they just we just need to push it forward as a country. I mean, the the, the public needs to demand this. Business owners need to demand this for their employees. Individuals need to demand this for themselves because it is so much better and it's completely doable, especially since the price transparency legislation came through at the end of 2020. We're and set the idea, up to We do don't that. have health care insurance. We have a prepaid plan. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have life insurance. I hope I don't ever use it. You know, that insurance is something you don't I have mm-hmm. I have home insurance in case my house burns down. I hope I don't use it. The plan is I don't ever want to use it. I have health insurance. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be using it all the time. Mm-hmm. That's not health insurance. That is, that is a pre-played thing. I pay it, and then I use it. I pay it, I use it. I pay it, I use it. You know, that, uh, it's like using your car insurance, not for accidents, but for your oil changes. Right. You know, it, that's, that's a maintenance plan. Mm-hmm. So it's not really insurance. Well, and that's what, what you're talking about is a maintenance plan. Well, yes, it may, I mean, it's, it's an everything. It's kind of an all-encompassing plan when it comes to primary care. It really is. I mean, and the other thing is about the insurance system and the insurance paying for everything system is it creates a bureaucracy where people can get away with gouging everybody, exorbitant fees for things that, don't, that shouldn't cost that much. And then sooner or later, it gets so gouged, you go, well, this is outrageous. Give it to the government. That's exactly what they're and doing. And that's the biggest that's been, gouge of all. Uh-huh. 
That's been their plan the whole time. Right. Is yeah, capitalism didn't work. Sorry. Right. Uh, obviously, you need us to take things over. What happens is you a get disaster. a Canadian system, and in order to stop the gouging, you have people on wait lists mm -hmm. and wait lists and wait lists. Mm -hmm. It's fine. You break your leg, they can patch you up pretty quickly. But if you need a service for somebody, somebody who has a chronic illness, somebody with a disease, somebody who needs uh, back fusion. I met a woman who was laying in bed for two years for her simple back fusion. Mm -hmm. uh, she was 29 years old. They gave her opioids. She became addicted. Um, and one of the doctors she saw basically said, I'm sorry, you just haven't suffered enough. She, he actually said those words. Mm -hmm. And the reason was because there were so many other people in line before her waiting for a back fusion mm -hmm. who are older and been waiting and, and addicted to opioids before her. Uh, and to the point where she was lost control of her bodily functions. She was wearing diapers. She had two young boys she was trying to be a mother to. Instead, she was bedridden. Finally, a doctor said, you're too young for this, and gave her permission to skip the line. She still had to wait six months. Gave her the back fusion, the spinal fusion. And before you know it, she was up and about, and she got off drugs and got her job back and her life back. And she said to me, my guilt is I lost two years as a mom that I can never get back. And the yeah. guilt I feel towards my, my sons is, you know, is awful. And you know, um, that's the cost of the delay. That's heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. And she looks at it and she's, she was just crying when she told me this story. Instead of, you know, and the guy who, this was the scariest part of my whole trip. The guy who was the broker who arranges for these people to escape down here and, and do this, he looked at me and said, don't ever do what we do in Canada with healthcare. Mm -hmm. Because, um, and then I, because, he said, this surprised me. Because if you do, we will have no place to escape to. Uh, <laughs> we will have no place, we will have no safety valve. Isn't right. that why? Wow. All right, last, very, very last question. Yep. What's your message to doctors? Other people, particularly uh, um, primary care physicians who might be listening to this conversation. Mm -hmm. give, them, give them the last word. Well, if you want to have a fulfilling career, if you want to have the career that you envisioned when you went into medical school, if you don't want the government dictating everything that you do, stifling innovation, making healthcare a limited resource instead of an unlimited resource, um, then you got to break out of it. I mean, What's the definition of insanity is continuing to do the same thing and, ask, and expecting different results. Well, you gotta be a little radical here. You gotta take the initiative and uh, get out of the fee-for-service insurance-based practice that you're in and join us over in the direct primary care movement. We need everybody. Do you think most doctors think it's the government or do you think most of them think it's the insurance companies? Uh, Not realizing the, that it's the government that, that created the reason for the insurance crisis. Yeah, you're exactly right about that. And, and most of these problems uh, have come up because of government intervention. And then it's basically, it's basically the worst combination of government intervention and crony corporatism. Yep. But do, do I think most doctors realize which one's which? Um, you hear plenty of complaints about both, I would say. Yeah. Insurance and the government. Isn't it funny? This all goes back to an IRS ruling under FDR. Mm -hmm. All of it comes back to one IRS ruling that says... Maximum wage. Right. Yeah. That uh, when FDR froze um, wages, mm -hmm. price controls and wage controls, uh, in order to give 
people wages, uh, increase wages to tempt workers to work for them, mm-hmm. they gave them these benefits, including I'll pay for your health care insurance. Mm-hmm. And when, when the IRS said, oh, yeah, that won't be charged as income, uh, that one ruling has now morphed into something that was okay and now has been mandated by Obamacare. Isn't that weird what happens after the decades? And now you, as an individual, don't get to choose your own health care. The idiot you work for chooses your health care. Mm-hmm. How bizarre is that? It's, it's amazing how those fingers just keep, you know, Over the decades. Mm-hmm. None of us Slowly. were alive when, when that decision by the IRS was made and FDR decided to freeze price controls uh-huh. and wage controls. Yeah. It can absolutely get worse, though. Sub-last question. Yes. Doctors heard that uh, and they wanted to talk to you personally on how to do this. Would you be willing to talk to them? 100%. I'll talk to anybody. All yep. Right. Absolutely. Uh, you can get a hold of me uh, th- through the clinic. Um, it's uh, pinnacleapc.com. My contact information is there. Because um, I would imagine there's a doctor out there listening to this going, I wouldn't even know where to start, how to start, who to talk to. But I'm I'm about ready to become a waiter or a busboy instead of doing what I'm doing. Well, I hope there are doctors out there listening. And uh, absolutely, uh, hit me up. I'd be happy to, to get you pointed in the right direction and, and do whatever I can to help. And sub third last question. Can you get me a prescription for a whole bunch of opioids? Sure, yeah, that's actually what I'm best at. I mean, just because I, I need to sell them to make oh, some money. Street, okay, yeah. now I do take a 25% cut All if right, you're gonna be doing that. We'll okay. talk off air. All right, good, free market. Thank you so much. If you've enjoyed this episode of Devil's Advocate, I hope you'll share it with a friend and I hope you'll subscribe and follow the show. We have new ones released weekly. Remember, this audio was taken from our TV show. To watch it, just search the letters IITV for Independence Institute TV on YouTube for this and many other great conversations. 